Hello everyone, I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband Shane and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this Family Tree Podcast episode 188. Shane, this is a lucky number. 88? Oh, oh, infinity? Double infinity? I don't know. I guess that makes sense too, but I just know that 88 is like a big number for lots of people, but I, I don't know much about that kind of stuff. Wait, where is it? Oh, Shane's look. <laughs> look at this. I have, I have a number eight tattooed on my body. I like you calling it a number eight and not an infinity symbol an tattoo infinity. you got with an ex-girlfriend. Well, because we're going to be together forever. Or like <laughs> linked together in some way because, you Cause know. Because the tattoo link. Yeah. When you, well, when you date someone, you're kind of linked to them forever. It's true. That's a less romantic way, but I appreciate that. And I like thinking of it as an eight now. Yeah. Do we change the opening from saying happy hour? Because this is... Not happy hour, unless you're drinking early in the morning, in which case that might not be good. Happy hour doesn't have to be, and I can say this, it doesn't have to be associated with alcohol. We're sitting here. Now you tell me. We've got a coffee. And quite honestly, I'm pretty happy. We're doing this in the daytime now, as we mentioned last week, and it feels good. I feel like we can actually, like me anyway, I feel like I can finally, I don't know, relax a bit. My brain's working better than it does at 11 o'clock at night. This is a happy hour. How often do you get a euphoric buzz off a of coffee? How often? Yeah, like if you have a coffee five days a week, every day will you get a euphoric buzz? Or m- maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, more so if I'm able to enjoy it in one go, like at home. Like this morning, I had a cappuccino and I felt great after. But if I take my coffee to work, I'm nursing it over like three hours. Yeah. So it's not as jolty. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, do you have a euphoric buzz right now? I feel good right now. What yeah, about you? Me too. I can't tell if it's the coffee or if it's the um, the ADHD medication I'm on because right. I double my dose now. Yeah, They just jump. It, it goes from um, 25 milligrams mm-hmm. of this stuff to 50. But you like it. If you'll, the first day, I know you said you it was you weren't I was, sure. I was a little, I could feel it coursing through my veins. It was a little much <laughs> the first day I doubled. And, and I was also, because I'll look up medication mm-hmm. online. So I look it, look it up and people were saying, if you take 100 milligrams, go to the ER immediately because you've overdosed. And my in two weeks time, I'm supposed to be up to 100 milligrams of this. It's, it's not Ritalin. It, Ritalin is the brand name of yeah. this. It's just the generic version of Ritalin. So I brought it to the pharmacist. I'm like, in two weeks, am I going to have to go to the ER if I take this? I'm like, was I mis get prescribed yeah. like uh, the the dosage? And she looked it up, and apparently, she's like, oh, a hundred is the maximum dose you can take. Yes, that might seem like a lot, and it might be a lot for you. However, it is the maximum, and it's within the realm of possibilities to mm-hmm. live and thrive. Well, see, our doctor spoke to me after she had spoken to you and she retold me how to take your prescription mm-hmm. because I think she knew that your brain is all over the place. And she's like, we're dealing with a guy who needs Ritalin. I'm going to tell his wife as well. But uh, she told me to only move up to the next dose if you think you need it. So if you're good at two, you stay at mm. two. Two's pretty good for now, but what if I can be like really good at three? I don't know. <laughs> Slippery slope, I guess. But yeah, two, become, uh, two feels good. What? Who's in Limitless? Bradley, Bradley Cooper? Cooper. There you yeah. go. I get that a lot. I would love, I think about that movie once in a while, maybe like three times a year. And I'm like, oh man, I wish I had that limitless drug without the side effects. It'd be so nice. It does feel like it, especially when I'm reading a book, I can read twice as fast. Okay. I'm so glad you mentioned this because this is kind of the segue that I was 
waiting for and I hadn't told you what I want to talk about, but I want to talk about books for a second mm-hmm. because I have been overcome with reading. Yeah. <laughs> you used a word in there that Sorry. I think because you're reading kind of a sexual fantasy book. No, also. Okay. So it's not, I called it a smutty book the other day and that really degrades it. I think it's so much more than that. It's a really great fantasy book. Yes, there are a couple scenes, but not that many, honestly. Like, I'm 700 pages through, and there's been, like, three scenes. But it's just a really good fantasy. So I'm reading right now A Court of Mist and Fury. It's the second book in the A Court of Thorns and Roses, whatever series, by Sarah J. Moss. Anyway, as I'm reading it, right, like, I'm so into the world building. I'm so into this, like, fantasy land that they've created. It's pretty rich. It's a lot richer than I thought it was going to be. But I cannot, like... I am obsessed, Shane, I've realized this, with the freaking love story. Like, obsessed with it. It's, they're perfect for each other. They have this, like, awesome meeting and then this whole journey before they fell in love and everything and realized they were always in love. And it's like, I cannot not be drawn to that. And I have never read, really, like, a romance book. I do not read romance books. And I cannot wait to finish this one and then start reading the next book in the series so i was looking this up because i'm like this can't be healthy right i mean like your obsession with the book well the fact that they're putting this love that they have these characters have for each other on like a pedestal it's like it is not touchable by any real person you know what i mean so then i started looking that up because i was like is this kind of like a version of porn where porn makes sex unrealistic and kind of skews our perception of what sex should be and mm-hmm. how it should look and things. Do books like this, and this is like my first time delving into one, do books like this skew our perception of like what love should look like or re- relationships? Because I couldn't imagine, like if I was single and sitting here and reading these books, I'd be waiting for my recent to like come out of nowhere and scoop me up and you know, make my life beautiful, which you have done. But I wonder if it was. So I started looking it up and there is a fairly common thing that women develop or people that read these, but you can develop an actual addiction to romance novels. Of course, it's very common. That's what's keeping the Harlequin yes. business alive. Well, it's, it's a, such a good money maker. I was thinking about that. I was like, what a great way to make money and you're writing. So it's yeah. kind of like respectable. But I was thinking about ways that people that can read these, because people are obsessed with this series and similar ones to it. And I was like, it's what makes it so unattainable? And like, you know, I used to watch the show Outlander, right? Similar kind of love story. But the thing that makes it all so dramatic and overpowering is the fact that they're going through these like extreme circumstances all the time, like wars and battles and everything. So it's always this really deep emotional, like I would die for you. And of course you and I aren't like telling each other we're going to die for each other every day because we live a very comfortable life. But I was trying to think of ways that we could bring or people in general could bring like the tenants of these super ridiculous romance novels to their everyday lives. Because I found myself on threads, like trying to research this, And there were women that were like unhappy in their marriages because their husbands can't match up to these characters. And it's sad and it's crazy. But I want to talk about that with you and like ways that people could make their everyday going to work, coming home to the kids kind of love seem more 
big, seem bigger. Do you know what I mean? I think any media you watch, any piece of entertainment you watch is unrealistic. Mm -hmm. So you watch a movie like Dumb and Dumber. It's a laugh a minute, that film. <laughs> Every interaction they have, something funny happens. Shane's so, favorite film. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good movie. If you don't think a Dumb and Dumber is funny. No, it's maybe, very funny. Yeah. It, it's of my time. So when I was a kid watching this, I thought adults are always finding themselves in funny situations. <laughs> then you grow up. It's like, this sucks. Nobody's farting on flames. No. like, And that was a dream sequence. Even in the film, that was meant to be ridiculous. But so many things in life are boring. Mm -hmm. And so many things are mundane. So many things aren't romantic, aren't exciting, aren't stimulating. And, uh, you know, that's a big part of my problem, having mm -hmm. ADHD. I'm, I'm seeking that out constantly. I'm trying to manufacture excitement when there isn't any because I, I simply have problems keeping still and movies are make you have an unrealistic expectation for almost anything you watch a romantic movie mm -hmm. it's the most romantic the notebook oh my god that's a very toxic relationship they have <laughs> they romanticize that they romanticize the fighting mm -hmm. this is just how we are we fight <laughs> i slam doors and you're a stubborn son of a gun it's like but it seems romantic yeah. in, in that movie. That's, that's not how it is. And they, they don't show him going to the washroom or not changing the toilet paper roll. Forgetting to flush. Anything. Yeah. But that's your, your quality mainly. Oddly. Okay. Who cut the milk backwards? Was that your quality the other day? <laughs> for a second, I thought you were doing a weird analogy for a washroom thing. No. Oh, who cut the milk backwards in there? I thought that was like a shit reference. But yes, I cut the milk backwards. Oh, they're not showing that in movies. That was the bait of my existence for four days until you that milk was drank. You just pour it backwards. I made a TikTok about it. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait to see that go viral. <laughs> Bag lady goes viral. <laughs> Check out this hilarious woman. How's the TikTok? I don't know. It's just me holding it up and then our TikTok helper is going to write stuff on it. Man, sounds like a good one. TikTok helper. <laughs> But anyway, Shade, I do, I do want to talk about these things because you're right. It's boring. It's mundane. And it can't – it inherently can't live up to all these things, to movies, to books, to porn, whatever. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And I think people need to realize that. And I was trying to think of the ways in which partners in these books or movies, their qualities that people love, right, and what they go for. And mm -hmm. then maybe from there we can try to think of ways for everyday life. But number one, they're always supportive, Always a good listener. And these are like the men being this, right? Because it's usually from the women's perspective. Mm -hmm. But he is always a supportive. He's always a good listener. He's always loyal. And most importantly, I think where the books get their steam is that he prioritizes her pleasure and like loves it, loves every second of it. These guys are also cut from like marble or whatever. They have, yes. they have eight packs and all that. Like Yeah. So I think – that because they're so handsome in your mind, it's like <laughs> Joe Schmo might be listening just as much. But when uh, this beautiful man's listening, it seems like he's listening even more. Well, they they describe the listening. And this is not just in the series I'm reading, but like in any romance book or movie ever. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the trope of like, oh, he looked at me like I was the only girl in the world kind of thing. But mm -hmm. every time like his dark violet eyes were mine, devouring me alive and like stuff like that, like wild language yeah well alex anytime if this is a code for like you need to prioritize my pleasure no, more or whatever no, no. you're trying to say no, here. no 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 i'm actually i'm not applying this to our relationship at all 
Because I'm reading this. <laughs> it's other men. I know. So I started reading it for escapism too, right? Because I was getting, you saw me, I was getting like super depressed. Yeah. Um, but I was reading the news too often. I, I couldn't stop. It was like becoming kind of obsessive how frequently I'd go and see these horrible things happening in the world. Well, you were seeing a bunch of children being killed online yeah. constantly. constantly. Dead, dead kids all the time. That yeah. can be... Uh, well, you still, know. if I if I open up Instagram and I don't want to stop following these journalists that I'm following because I want to be aware, but it was just becoming obsessive. So then I started reading this and it's taken over the obsession with a much happier, sexier thing, I guess. But um, so I'm I'm using the book for escapism for sure, but not to escape from anything with you. You know what I mean? To escape from the news. Yeah. Yeah. But um, ways that people can bring it to their own lives. Tell your partner, if you feel, if you're like, oh my God, these guys in the books are amazing. Look at them loving to give their spouses pleasure, whatever. Talk to your partner about that. I don't know. What's a good way to, you think, Shane, from the male perspective, if a woman was unhappy with the frequency or the enthusiasm with which her partner was pleasuring her? What's this book called again? Uh, a, seer, uh, a Court of Thorns and Roses. I would grab a nearest copy of a court of thorns and roses and i'd be like read this <laughs> throw it to him and be like huh you ain't like that i need pleasure <laughs> you don't provide that but okay in that ridiculous uh voice of a woman looking for pleasure i do think that there's something handy there because we've like we've had um psychologists on relationship therapists and things and, you know, talked about porn, talked about all different things. And it's known that sometimes they'll be like, oh, watch it together. Like, try to see if that can open your minds to what you guys desire, how you can make each other happy, whatever. I hate that idea. I know. But maybe this book. Read together? Listen to an audiobook together? <laughs> A sexy audiobook. My goodness. Who knows, Shane? Two literary loving people? Yeah. Um... Like, I'm trying to look for, like, what's a way somebody, other than throwing a book at their partner's face, can be like, you know, I want more of this? I don't know. I think just bring it up when the problem isn't present. Mm -hmm. Make it as least confrontational as you can. And everyone knows what, when they're being confrontational. I find a lot of problems are attempted to be worked out in the heat of passion. And I don't yeah. mean like sexual passion, like an argument. Something is the straw that broke the camel's mm -hmm. back. And it's like, well, I, you do this. I do this. I make money. You do this. So do it when you're calm mm -hmm. and happy and bring it up. And try to make it not argumentative. And what argumentative is, is different for every person. Because you know your partner. You know what's going to kind of set them off. Mm -hmm. it, it can be a bit of a high wire act. But I, I think there's a right level where even if it's broached incorrectly, if it's attempted to be broached correctly, they'll be listened to. And sometimes a partner might seem like they're ignoring you or brushing you off. But it, it does stick. And I finally mm -hmm. will. They will make effort. I don't think anybody wants to not make their partner happy. You yeah. know what I mean? Like if you're in a, if you're in a a loving, if there's love in your relationship, I think even if your partner's not making you happy, they want to. Yeah, I, I know someone, and they were at, they were asking for advice of something, just how to make a relationship better. And it's be, sometimes because you want to make the relationship so good, you make it worse mm -hmm. because you're trying to be it 
to be perfect. And when you're trying to make something perfect, you're you're nitpicking more mm-hmm. or you can be a little like persnickety with that person because you hold them on a or your relationship on a pedestal where you just want things to be romanticized. So I just this person was kind of complaining about their partner. And I just told the person, don't see if you stop nitpicking, mm-hmm. if that just changes the way your partner is. Mm-hmm. And then he or this person <laughs> uh, told me it worked like everything kind of changed because it was like stop being perfect and it stopped stop looking for the perfection and then the other person can relax because they don't feel like every move they make mm-hmm. is so consequential no i like that a lot i mm-hmm. think that's so huge you know people say to like be in the moment but i i don't want to use that phrase because i feel like we throw it out so much it, it kind of feels empty sometimes but just to be more aware so like For an example, since reading this book, so it started to get real hot like last week in the chapters I was in. I was like, oh man, like I love this. Like I love how connected the two characters are, whatever. And I was like, I just, I want to kind of focus on that. And then you and I were like watching TV or something. And then I was kind of in my head, this is so bad. I hate that I'm admitting this. In my head, I was kind of narrating, like you put your arm around me. And I was like, he put my arm around me. And then like, you were kind of just like doing this to my arm, like tickling it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like thinking about that in my head. I was like, this would be like such a titillating scene in the book, even though there was not really anything titillating happening. When was I rubbing your arm? I don't know. We were like last week, we were relaxing. Maybe it was in bed. And um, you were just like kind of nonchalantly. I wondered what all that moaning was about. <laughs> yeah, but I was like, this is actually so hot and so nice and so comfortable and like, it just made me feel um, so into you, even though nothing mm-hmm. uh, in that of that nature was happening. You know what I mean? When we were playing Zelda the other day, and I my turn <laughs> my turns were taking longer than your turns because I'm somehow a better player than you. It's... It felt like you were very annoyed with me. And I were was. were you thinking this isn't what a hot Harlequin guy would do? He would give me longer turns, and I do. I give you two turns every time you die, and I give it up to you every time I die. It's true. I will say my turns are five minutes apiece and chains are 45, but... We're playing uh, Zelda, the the first Zelda for Nintendo, like the original Nintendo. Well, I mean, I had fun, I think, bickering with you about it, about the turns. Okay. Well, (laughs) don't try to manufacture all this stuff. I wasn't. No, you felt overly mad and I couldn't figure out what's going on. And I realized everything's being analyzed under the prism of, is this like the Harlequin novel or isn't it? It's not, but I don't think that there's anything wrong with being like focused on, you know, a touch and not just taking everything for granted. So like, I think there's a happy middle ground. It's not one or the other. I have to narrate everything in my head or I'm not appreciating it. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I just think that, you know, I was doing that just because I had finished reading and then it was like a reminder to just appreciate little things, little touches, little shows of love. Because that's so much of what a relationship is. Those little shows of love that you do throughout the day. Like a little hug while you're, you know, running in two opposite directions. A slap on the butt. Whatever it is. Have you seen the movie Vanilla Sky? Yes. With you. Oh. That that was the first time? Yeah. I kind of like that movie. I, I find that it has a love-hate relationship with a lot of people. But there's a line in it where he goes, the little things. Is there anything bigger? I like it. I like it. You know? <laughs> Good movie. <laughs> it's also a stupid movie. I too, also so like that depends. Tom Cruise is the one talking about the little things. 
Well, it, it was written for him. This isn't like he's a little guy. He's an actor. Oh, it's because he's short. Well, that's what You're I'm short saying. Shaming? Yeah, um, but I'm also uh, short insinuating. Like he's got a small penis. Well, man, he's really trying to uh, force it in people's heads. He didn't write the movie. Well, you know, and Tom Cruise you know how in that Scientology movie is works. very handsome man. Not that I'm some cruise head. Yeah. I, I think you are a closeted cruise head a little bit. But at the first movie... He's I, been in the best movies ever. He, his ratio for hits to misses is unprecedented. I don't think there's an actor who's been in more hits than him. There's not, but I, I did grow up, like before I saw any Tom Cruise movie, I saw him jumping on Oprah's couch. Yeah, which is, that is was unfair. And I'm not saying even Tom Cruise is a good guy, but if we're just basing it on the couch thing, that got blown so out of proportion. If Jim Carrey did that, because there's so much expectations behind, oh, Jim Carrey or Robin Williams, they're supposed to be jumping on couches because them clowning around is for our amusement. Tom Cruise <laughs> tried to do that for a second, which is admittedly not the way we're used to seeing Tom Cruise. But he was in a great mood, excited. Any of us who have been in a new relationship when you're experiencing that, I think it's limerence yeah. or whatever it's called, you feel euphoric all the time. And mm -hmm. I think he was in the first flush of that relationship. He was he with Nicole? Or, no, uh, no, no. He, he was, was with, with Katie Holmes. That was kind of his, right. his outing of that. Yeah. So he's jumping on the couch and he thinks, I'm being fun. I'm being relatable. And then boom, Tom Cruise <laughs> has gone mad because he's jumping. It's not like he was at someone's house jumping on their couch with his muddy boots on. He's on a set on a fake couch that is put there to... <laughs> To make people feel relaxed and he's like i'm loose and then it ruined his career for a matter of like three years and then he had to do all these other movies to like bounce back yeah it, it was in that day so it was like the couch thing but then it was also like perez hilton my babcha who was obsessed with those trashy gossip mags yeah they were always sitting around so i just i was so inundated with tom cruise has lost his mind you know what i mean there's so many other things, though, that with Scientology or whatever yes. that can be looked at or maybe like real behaviors he's mm -hmm. doing that seem like a fun, performative action. And to me, it just made me feel like, oh, I can't if I'm feeling one way, I can't necessarily do that. I was pretty much shouting off of roof, rooftops, though, when you and I uh, first got together. I know. But that's what I mean. Mm -hmm. If. You know, if you're Jay, Jennifer Lawrence and you do that, mm -hmm. I think you can do that because you're kind of funny and quirky. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of the equivalent to Tom Cruise, the female equivalent. Like a more serious. If Nicole Kidman yeah, maybe I, even I did that, a that's good... a pretty good equivalent yeah. because she's not outrageous like that. Yeah. If she did that, you might be like, Nicole Kidman offer meds with, you know, <laughs> in, in that time, you could yeah. just jump to any assumption. And if you're a popular gossip mag like Perez Hilton was mm -hmm. you kind of take that as that's that's it yeah no. they are crazy I think that's a good comparison mm -hmm. too it's funny because they were together but I, I I do think that's really good were you shedding off a rooftops when we first started dating it seemed like it but you I don't know I don't know so. if you were just putting that on for me when was I shouting off rooftops with you we we had a date our second date we were on a rooftop <laughs> we were no but I just felt like you I felt that you were so into me when we started dating obviously so that's how did you mean. feel that what did i do you told me all the time when when would i say i'm so into you no like you'd show me and you'd tell me like we were like couldn't keep our hands off each other oh man i must be you were like a romance novel guy it was like you'd look at me and the whole world would stop no i think i was probably <laughs> not romantic like hey i really like you you like me right <laughs> but yeah i was 
I was excited. Me too. I'm still excited though. And I want Me that too. to be clear. But with all this romance novels, you're reading this thing constantly. Shane, what we do once every couple of weeks? I don't need a romance novel to compete with that. What are you talking I'm about? I'm joking. I'm trying to make a joke. What's the joke though? The- <laughs> explain it to me. I can't explain it. Maybe we... Oh, sex. <laughs> we do every couple of weeks. Okay. I'm joking. I'm joking of it all. I'm just trying to make it... You know with this early in the morning, I can't be laughing hysterically. <laughs> all right, to everyone laughing at home, my apologies for missing that joke. You know, it's early in the morning and... Uh, mm. Okay, should we go mm. to... Our guest. We have a guest today. Yes, we do have a guest. And since we're on the topic of relationships, ways to make yourself feel known and feel connected to your partner, I want to bring you our conversation with Dr. Darcy Sterling. It's an amazing talk. She's such an expert. She's on TV giving celebs advice all the time. What's she talking about? Emotional bids. Listen to the interview to find out what that is. Just She she picks apart our relationship. We talk about that. We get I don't in, know if I like this woman. We get in the weeds. Um, but she is absolutely phenomenal and it is not one that you are going to want to miss who's the better partner me or you does she say she weigh in on no she she calls us both out for different things it's good was i in on this chat no well that's not fair she mostly calls me out though but okay good i like this woman (laughs) she seems nice um okay all right but let's get to it dr darcy sterling what do i do i dr darcy dr sterling darcy what what do Darcy's great. Okay, amazing. So Darcy, like you are the host of E-Network's Famously Single. You're a relationship expert, a social worker, and a social advocate. You're a big deal. And I love talking relationships. So now I get to talk relationships with a big deal. And I'm very excited to do this. I'm I'm blushing. Um, (laughs) You don't come into social work to be a big deal. (laughs) I was going to say. You know what I'm saying? It's uh, generally people who come into the field uh, have a strong sense of humility and public service. Uh, The rest of it was accidental. So probably been doing this as long as you've been alive. I'm happy to share my my experience and uh, training with you. No, that's fantastic. And before we get into it, you and your wife both do relationship work. So I'm just like fascinated by this do you guys like approach problems from different schools of thought like what's it like to be in an argument between you guys both being in relationship in the field i'm just going to tell you that at the top of the pandemic we were in couples therapy first once a week then within two weeks twice a week and then by the third month in it was three times a week it took another six months before we were back down to once a week the errors we make in our relationship count twice as much as everyone else's errors because we know better. So what's it like to be lazy and choose not to use your relationship skills? It's painfully human, you know, and um, the rest of the folks out there can claim not to know better because we're never taught relationship skills. But my wife, Steph, and I, we share a practice, which sounds like a lot more intense than it is. I mean, we're behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. I, I never see her throughout the day. More so now that we're working remotely exclusively, but, you know, only in passing as she has to, you know, exit her office, which is our daughter's bedroom who doesn't live here full time and has to go into the kitchen or manage one of the animals. But we don't spend a whole lot of time together working together. And on the rare occasion that we do get to work together, I am going to sound so gay, which I am. Um, (laughs) 
I am, I am reminded of why I fell in love with her because her clinical mind is the mind that I first met. We met at NYU. I was getting my PhD. She was getting her master's degree and she was just a sponge. She was and has so much more natural uh, raw talent than I do. Sort of my jam is I, I compensate with hard work, but she remembers things and she just integrates information so naturally and so much of it makes sense to her. Steph works with couples and she teaches couples relationship skills. I am far too controlling to ever handle more than one person in the room at a time. So I teach relationship skills to individuals because once you put a second person in, and by the way, it works perfectly for me, mm-hmm. that chain's not here, right? Because it's just you and me. It's amazing. It, it, it's amazing. Anytime, anytime there's a co-host, I'm like, we've got a wild card. We've got a wild card. I, you know, I can definitely handle one. I don't know if I can handle more than one at a time. But, you know, I have had the privilege of hearing, I mean, obviously, we don't listen to each other's sessions, but like the walls in any structure are audible. And I hear the quality of the work that she does. And couples come into her session and sometimes they are at it with each other. And by the end, it's, you know, it's, it's always more neutral, if not a love fest at the end. So, yeah, that's the story. We share a practice. We're both, we, you know, I didn't think Steph was going to be a relationship expert. That wasn't her jam. When we first started working together, my practice focused on teenagers. But we experienced so much healing in couples therapy that it inspired her to go on for her own training. So she's like trifecta trained in, in the, like the three big ones, Amago, Gottman, and I can't remember the third, to be honest. But she, she has so much more information than I have when it comes to couples. And we will often, you know, when we're stumped, which, you know, for me is not very infrequent, um, probably a few times a month, we will pick each other's brains. It's like a great privilege to be able to tap each other as a resource because she has a whole different philosophy. She sees the problem through a different lens than I do. And I really appreciate that. I also think she should do everything my way and she doesn't for the record. It's not all roses to be clear. Well, I love your focus. And this is what I got to just from, you know, knowing your stuff online and and what you put out there, but your focus on skill and being in a relationship as a skill and why it's important. I mean, you mentioned you work with teenagers and why it's important for kids to learn relationships as a skill. And their parents, because that is a relationship. So not everyone that comes to me comes to me for their intimate relationship they oftentimes come to me because they haven't built a tribe of friends or because they're having trouble in their family of origin or because they've just uh, you know, started a new job and they're having trouble with their team. All of these are relationships. And so the same skills that I'm supposed to be using with my wife that I'm often too lazy to use with her are the same skills I use, I'll use with you if we become friends. I use with my assistant when I work with her on a daily basis. And I use with my friends who I hang out with at night and my, you know, and my family of origin. Like I use this, it's the same skills. So the first 15 years of my career, I spent working with teenagers and their parents, and I was teaching relationship skills. And the thing is, because it's under the layer or the or the um the label of therapy, 
so many people, even today, after in the throes of a mental health crisis, global crisis from the pandemic, even today with what we know about trauma and about the fact that none of us come out of childhood without some fractures and wounds, there's still such a stigma attached to therapy. And I don't you know, I didn't do it for the branding purpose, start calling them skills, but they are skills, you know? And, and so one of the reasons I have built online courses is because people can get the information. Not everyone can. Some people need the one-on-one experience to help them get out of their own way. But there are some people who can go in and take a really good online course and walk away with like a bachelor's degree. And so I want I wanted these skills, these tools that I teach and have been teaching for 27 years now. I wanted them to be available to everyone. I don't feel like you need necessarily therapy. Everyone doesn't need to be in therapy to learn relationship skills. Everyone should be in therapy for other reasons, but you don't need to be in therapy to learn relationship skills. Not everybody does, at least. No, I think that's a great take and you know knowing if you've worked with teenagers, you know we all have because I think it shows the most in teenagers, different ways of internalizing information, of learning. And I think that is so important. So people can go at their own pace. And like, I've done two therapy sessions in my life. And I hate really? I hated them. I hated them. I, I think I, I didn't do it properly or something, but... It wasn't you. And that's <laughs> things I never say to my clients. I, everything is my client's fault because that's empowering. It's not blaming. What I'm saying to you is it wasn't you because the therapist therapy is so can be so awkward. Well, I mean, at its essence, it's awkward, right? You're, you're meant to, it's like walking into a room with a stranger and having to take your clothes off. Yes. I mean, it's very uncomfortable to do that. And if you're not with somebody who has some social skills and can be a human being in the room with you and try and neutralize some of that power imbalance, I mean, you're just going to sit there half, with half your clothes on or just bounce with all your clothes on and never come back for your third session. I became the therapist that I had always wanted. You know, I, my goal is to make the whole process less awkward and more relatable and less shaming because none, we all need it. You know what I mean? What was your experience though? I totally talked about No, no, no. It was fine. You know what? I went in and to use the analogy of getting naked, I stripped off everything within the first five minutes, I was like, okay, here's my issue. Here is what's bothering me. Here's what could be behind it. Just laid it on the table. And then it just didn't really progress. And I was just giving everything all in at once. And maybe that was a mistake. But then in the last 10 minutes, it was all about booking the next session, booking the next session. So I was like, you just want me to be here or something. It felt, it felt very disingenuous. And just awkward because I was putting it out there and then I wasn't being met with a human response. Yeah. Engagement. Yeah. Yeah, It was weird. It was very weird. And it doesn't have to be like that. I mean, look, that's been my experience in therapy as well. Like, and except I didn't take my clothes off because (laughs) I would rather put on the Dorsey show for an hour, even if I have to do it two, three times a week to feel like I'm really in therapy and I've been there. Um, certainly when I transitioned out of my last marriage and was questioning my sexual orientation for a solid year, I was like hitting the couch four times a week. It's not necessary for it to be that awkward. There are things we, 
my therapy sessions sound like this. I'm already feeling better. (laughs) Well, then I did a good job. No, I mean, and it's so unnecessarily awkward. I mean, we just, it's such an old school approach to, um, to try and project that blank slate, that professional clinical slate where like you've got a poker face and you're very modulated and you're just like nodding and stuff. That doesn't, that doesn't encourage you to share more that, that it, it puts so much of the responsibility on the client. And I do believe that therapists need to take more responsibility for directing the course of work and uh, communicating with their clients on negotiating what the goals are, what they think the time frame is. Yeah, I, I guess maybe it, look, it probably worked out that the therapists that I've had by and large were so uh, profoundly disappointing because then I wind up being the therapist that I am because I know what I wanted. Mm-hmm. No, and absolutely. That's what we do. Look, and that's what we do in relationships. We all, well, if we're trying to be good human beings, we try to treat our partners the way we would want to be treated, but our partners don't necessarily want to be treated the way we want to be treated. And a lot of the ways in which we communicate our needs to our partners are different from the way they hear and get their needs fulfilled. You know, I'm talking love languages and bids here. Um, Are you familiar with what like a relationship bid is? So I wanted to get into that actually. And it's funny because Shane, if he was here, he would be so proud because his big thing is don't treat people how you want to be treated. Treat people how they want to be treated and know what they respond to, know what ticks them and everything like that, and then treat them in that way. And that shows conscientiousness. That shows courtesy. It shows that you care. It shows love. However, okay, however, and he's not here, so he can't defend himself, and that's fine. He'll Uh listen to this later. But- When you're in an argument with somebody who doesn't respond the same as you, and then your defense mechanisms go up, right? So Shane's is to, like, he'll be the one that gets loud or gets, I'm going to say catty or something like that. And then I am the type, the second there's any hint of, you know, a boat rocking, I shut down. I Uh shut down. I can't say anything. I want out of the situation. I just cannot respond. So when you're in an argument, how can you effectively communicate and treat the other person how they want to be treated when you are just like in your weird defense mechanism zone? I love that you said that because it's you're literally when you're in that weird defense mechanism zone, you're literally in a part of your brain called the amygdala, which a lot of us have heard the the term before. It's the oldest part of our brain. It's uh, responsible for keeping us alive. It knows how to fight. It knows how to run. And it knows how to freeze, depending on the situation. And most of us are born with a predisposition for one or the other, which is not to say that we can't, like we use multiple, different situations provoke different response styles in, in us. But most of us have a primary response style. Yours is to freeze or run. His mm-hmm. is to fight. And like, let's just be clear. The way these response styles look in 2022 is he's not, God willing, he's not taking his gloves off, right? No, 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 no. He's never putting his hands on you in anger. No. No Johnny Depp situation. Oh, my God. Amber. That's such situation. a mess. That's such a mess. I know. Let's not even go there because I've already lost enough brain 
enough IQ points like in the last two weeks trying to go there. So but what he wants is a resolution with you. But because he presents as so activated, it causes you to shut right down and it throws you right. So he gets activated. He's in his amygdala or like well on his way there. And his his way of communicating to you throws you into your amygdala and two people in their amygdala or even one person in their amygdala that's like trying to talk to a drunk person and reason with them. Yes. Or my so, toddler. Like it's it's literally worse than talking to my toddler. You cannot do it. So, okay. He's not here. So I'm going to relationship coach you. You ready? I'm, I'm so ready, Darcy. Okay. So here's the deal. What nobody teaches us is we're not meant to have a conversation when we're that escalated because we're in our amygdala. And when we're in our amygdala, we have pulled our prefrontal cortex offline. It's almost impossible to be in both at the same time. Therapists who are trained in therapy know how to do both at the same, get you in both at the same time. But let me follow this out one second. Your prefrontal cortex is the part of your brain that can anticipate the consequences of your actions. It's the part of your brain that can strategize, that can think through things, that has the ability to feel empathy and read empathy in each other. But you're out of that when you're in your when you're in your amygdala. You're almost never in both at the same time. And so I don't want you guys having a disagreement when you're like that. What I want you to do is get in the habit of saying to each other. So when he's like that, he wants to approach you and he has to cultivate the self-discipline to maybe approach you and say, so I'm upset and I'm not, I know I'm not in a place to talk about it right now. Can you please tell me when we can talk about this topic? And then you're not ambushed. So even if you're headed towards your amygdala because you're like, oh, fuck, he needs to talk. Like somebody tells us I need to, we need to talk. We all get a little uncomfortable and start sweating, but you'll be able to maintain your groundedness long enough to say, let me look on my calendar. And within the next 24 hours, you should carve out the time to hear him out. He's already giving you the topic. And then the two of you need to come together and he needs to come with a commitment to modulating his volume, to staying in I statements and feelings words rather than you did this and you did that and I hate it when you do and you always and never. So there's rules of engagement that, again, they're, they're relationship skills. There are lots of rules of engagement that I can't possibly monopolize your time with and, and cover all of them today. But the, you know, just the high level uh, takeaways are you want to keep, if you're somebody who generally needs to have immediate resolution to a problem, that means that you engage in the fight response style. And so when you have your partner at a different point, ready to hear you out, you have to modulate your tone. You have to be very aware of body language. So like 75% of how we read each other is based on body language. You right now are very relaxed. Your your hand, your chin is on your hand. You're leaning in. It all tells me that you're curious and you're really engaged with me. But if you were like this, or if you were like this, 
that would be giving my brain information. If your tone is raised, if your tone sounds condescending, so very little of it is the words we use, but we start with the words because that's the easiest thing to control. So you want to stick to I statements. The other day, when you told me in front of that guest that you, you made fun of me and you pulled out an example from something from two weeks ago, it felt I, I felt blindsided by it. I wasn't expecting it. And um, I, it pulled me so out of my game, I couldn't recover in that podcast. That is the way I want him to communicate to you. He's got to modulate himself so that he keeps you capable of being in the conversation. Here's the deal, Shane. If you come at her when you're escalated, you are going to throw her into her amygdala she's going to freeze and shut down or walk away. So if you want to have a productive conversation, it begins with the person who has a fight response style and it behooves you, it's incumbent upon you to rein it in and communicate with her the way, you know, as, as you know, to be courteous. You are a courteous person. You're somebody who understands that. So you have to, he has to speak your language and zooming out, back to relationship bids, which are any communication between partners. Anytime partners are communicating, we rarely know that it's a relationship bid, but it's always a relationship bid. Oftentimes, our bids come under the sloppy packaging of criticisms or requests, and they're off-putting to our, to our partners. Or they just look so random or mundane or in, unimportant that we miss that it's Actually, and, and our partner, like we'll we'll dismiss our the bid, we'll miss the bid, and that's very hurtful. It's injurious to the partner. So, what the way the way I like to see relate view relationship bids is think of your partner as being a foreign country. Okay, you got to go there trying to speak the language. You can't speak English and expect everyone to understand you. It's not their responsibility to know English, right? Yeah. So. Yep. As going back to what I was saying, like, I don't know, a week ago, because this tangent has been a long time, when I said we we tend to treat our partners, if we're good enough people, the way we would want to be treated. And what's most important is to learn how they want to be treated. So that is where, where love languages come into play, knowing what our partner's love languages are, but also knowing what their fighting style is. So the two of you need to come at it when you're regulated, when you're emotionally grounded. And if you feel escalated or you feel that he's escalating, one of you needs to go to the bathroom, take a, take a few seconds in there, a few minutes in there, try and ground yourself and then come back. And if you can't on an emotional discomfort scale between zero and 10, 10 being the most uncomfortable you are, zero is completely neutral of discomfort. If you can't come back at below a three, it's not time to talk. It's going to throw you right back in your amygdala. I know. I like that because then it's, it's self-regulation, but then you still have both people kind of saying, okay, this is where I am emotionally. Can I be here or no? And I think that's so important because I had some people writing in too and they're like, oh, I'm the fiery one in the relationship. It's me that's coming at my partner. And it it is so tough. Sometimes it's hard to self-regulate. Sometimes it's hard to do these things. And you want to 
have the discussion here and now because you don't want to waste any more time thinking about it. But it's tough. And Darcy, you mentioned a few times relationship bids. So many of us in listeners are so far out of the relationship therapy world. Can you get into detail about what a relationship bid is? So every time my wife wants to show me a video of one of our animals, which is every second of her life, or a CrossFit video of what she's just done at her recent box workout, my eyes want to roll in the back of my head and I just want to bury myself in work because it seems unimportant and it seems like trivial and like, really? But it's actually less about the animal video or about how her clean and jerk went in this workout that she did. And it's more about her and me connecting in that moment, me showing her, I'm going to put down my work because that's always my drug of choice. I'm going to put down my work and give you the 30 seconds. Here's the deal. Our partners are going to get attention from us one way or another. We have a choice. Is it going to be positive or negative? It's like having a toddler. Don't you have a toddler? I have a toddler and a four-year-old. And okay. I, I can relate to this because if I'm not getting the attention I want, then I, and like, I mean, this is a different t- topic, like self-sabotage, I will seek out negative attention oh. and I'll be like fucking so annoying and just get in his face or just, just about like, oh, I need a hug. I'm feeling so, you know what I mean? It never works out well. So, but here's the thing. I mean, what I have learned in my old age is to literally be like, hello, I need some attention. And I do it in a cute little pouty voice, which is less off-putting than being like, excuse me, Steph, I'm needing some attention. Um, And I'm more likely to get my needs met. I'm more likely when I'm direct. Rather, I've learned the ways in which I used to act out, probably still do. Um, I'm sure I've just gotten more creative at how I act out that I don't notice it anymore. But all of which is to say that when when I'm needing attention, I will say it. I will directly say it. Can you say it? Oh, yeah. No, I'll say it. I will I have no problem doing that. Um, but I think... Do you know what you need? Do you need a hug? Do you need words? Do you need time? Darcy, what do you need? I always need a hug. I always need a hug. I always need something physical. I always need sex. That's... Physical touch, touch is my touch. love language. Touch is your thing. Nothing makes me happier yep. or more... Um, And nothing makes me feel more comforted than that. Yes, in touch. I'm with you. It's my top love language also. Does he know that when he walks by you, he should be touching you? He does. He's he's pretty good about it. Like even just like a little butt slap or something. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and he's really good about it. And he really does go out of his way to like to do that. But like maybe it's I maybe I want it too much. And then he is less touchy, but still very touchy, but like less. So then again, it's like a confluence of love languages. You know what I mean? So here's the other thing. I don't know if this scratch it. It won't scratch your itch quite as well, but have you tried giving the affection that you want? Oh yeah. I mean, like for you to pass him and give him the butt smack, for you to play with his hair, presuming he has hair, for you to like touch him as often, like sometimes when you want the hug, for you to just go behind him and give him the hug. Also, do you know what his top love language is? So I'm always, I'm like, I cannot get enough of him. I think he's like the sexiest person I've ever seen. Can't get enough. And so always like, 
attracted. Like it, it's it's too much almost. You know what I mean? Uh, his love language. He's a very lucky guy. <laughs> he is. I mean, that, that's not a complaint that most straight men come to me with. Well, there, Shane, when you're editing this, listening to this, take that for, uh, you know. Nonetheless, I'm sure you give him a run for his money. Uh, 100%. And yeah. his love language is acts of service. And like, you know, we do we have a business together. I'm a very forgetful person. I got lots on my plate at all times. Even when I'm trying hard, I just like, phew, I forget. Things. I'm so not A-type. And that's the thing. He is... He's forced himself to become A-type because he hasn't been diagnosed, but we think he has ADHD. He has something that hasn't been diagnosed. And he has forced himself to be on top of things, and he can't understand why I am like, will never get there. And it's like talking to a crazy person. I'm like, oh, no, no, I'll remember this for next week. I'm on it. Like, let me take that part of the business. And then Darcy, like, I will write it in five different places. I will set 10 reminders. And it is gone. And do you have I, an assistant? No. Okay. Um, do you look at your calendar? Yes. I want you to practice for the next seven days under promising to mm-hmm. over deliver. I want you to say yes to one out of five requests from him. And I want you to try and hit hundred percent on that. Say no to most things. Gracefully, you strike yeah. me as somebody who would be pretty polite. You know, I wish I could, but I, but I can't. But when you say you're going to do something, commit to it. Commit to it. Make it your priority. Put a post-it on your computer and fucking do it. That's simple. So be less of a people pleaser. Be less um, agreeable or inclined to say yes to things. And the few things that you say yes to do those things. And you probably need an assistant. You've got like a four-year-old and a two-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. And a business and a husband. Are you kidding me? I also teach, but it's crazy. Okay. Listen, folks, we're going to crowdsource right now. My, my new friend here needs an assistant. So if you've got the ability to be a freelance part-time assistant and you can rock her world, she needs some assistance. I, I desperately do. But there's I, only so much that you can do. And here's the other thing I have had to learn as an entrepreneur, and I'm, I'm older than you. I'm going to like, you know, just mentor you for a half a second. Like, you can't do it all. You cannot do it all. It is a recipe for failing across the board. And it's a shitty feeling, especially when you run a business with your, with your partner. Yeah. So, like, yeah. Like Shane, I have ADHD. It, it sadly has been diagnosed, and I've had to I've had to acquire a little OCD to be functional. That's like him. If I didn't if I didn't do it, I would be a disaster, a disaster. Now you're lucky because you've got a neurotic husband who gets his stuff done, right? That can also be a slippery slope for you to not grow as much as you're capable of. So I want you to practice under-promising and over-delivering. You would never miss an interview with somebody. No. I, want you to treat, I want you to treat him like the business partner that he is. Try not to take advantage of the fact that you're related. I do. It's hard. It's hard. Darcy, this is, why, Kate, this is why you're where you are, because why couldn't I have gotten this in any, seriously, any therapy session, any, the two that I took? 
By the way, it's easier when you've made every relationship mistake there is. So like I'm drawing from personal experience, FYI, and also from my own relationship with Steph, because we run a business together, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I'm the neurotic one. And I, and you know, I have, we have come so far in the years that we've been together. I will say that the, the thing that landed that really seemed to have resonated with her is saying, please under promise and over deliver. And I got that from a client, by the way, my clients are so amazing. They're so smart. They're so inspiring under promise over deliver and try and pretend I'm a stranger. Try and treat me the way you would a stranger. Your brand identity is your business. Try and treat him the way you would if you weren't related. I think that's so good. And I think that is something that I do need to bring into our business relationship because sometimes if we're especially, oh, my God, during the pandemic, right? Uh, Because at the beginning of the pandemic, I was pregnant, gave birth, then postpartum in 2020. So it was nuts. So sometimes we'd sit there and be like, okay, we need to reset. And it was his idea. And he goes, let's pretend like let's treat each other like we did when we you know, first got each other's numbers from Tinder and went out on our first date. Yes, yes. It's the best advice you met on Tinder. Well, in case I want to bring this because you were, are you still a global ambassador for Tinder? No, but I was their global ambassador. I love that you met on Tinder. In a roundabout way. So we had met years ago because Shane's, he's a director and a producer and our friend's band had like a really low budget video. So they casted me because they knew me. So he directed me in that. We didn't, we just met and that was it. And then he matched my cousin on Tinder. But the day before she had met a love on Tinder and was like, well, I got to say goodbye to all my other Tinder boyfriends. But she was like, I don't want to waste Shane. So then she gave him, she's like, would you date my cousin instead? She's newly single. And he's like, oh, what's her name? And then he was like, I know her. Like we've met before. So we met through Tinder, but not. Do you know what I mean? How crazy is that? It was nuts. It was, well, it was like, like going, but go, it totally, totally meant to be. But going back to what he said, it's so true. It is so true. Let's get back to the way we were with each other when we just, ex- he sounds like he's got some very organic relationship skills. He's got uncommon sense. People like to minimize it and call it common sense. That's bullshit. The shit that your, your husband has some real strengths. And what happens in relationships is that we, I mean, when you're wildly in love or like wildly uh, infatuated with each other, you burn through that honeymoon phase. (laughs) You burn through that. You just, you can't get enough of each other. And you get to that second stage of relationship. And that second stage, which I call organic love, because it's the love without the relationship skills. You, the, the hallmark of that is that you, you built up love. You built up enough trust in each other to fall in love. And now you're finally able to like hang out in your, like your yoga pants and you don't have to put on makeup and you can like Netflix and chill and not feel like you're undervaluing your self-worth. And the problem is, is that so many people in this stage just completely stop doing all that stuff from the previous stage. And they start progressing through that stage and they hope to get to the third stage by getting engaged and married and having kids. But if you don't reintegrate some of that dating behavior, some of the seduction that you engaged in early on, you're going to burn out because 
all the stuff that caused you to fall in love with each other, it's you. It's like having it's like having an exotic plant and and expecting it to be gorgeous without watering it. Hold on one second. My marinara sauce is burning. I got. I got. I got. I got. I got. I got to stir it. That's crucial. All right. Got it. So Darcy, I have five minutes left of a babysitter, and then I got to hightail it. I know it's shit because this is so fun. But sorry, continue. Continue with what you're saying. I just had to say that. Right. We have to keep dating. It takes discipline because some of what we love in that second stage is that we don't seem to need it as much. We just we love each other. We want to have sex constantly, maybe. And we progress the relationship into like managing things together. Maybe we move in together. Maybe we like start introducing our partner to our friends and our family. You have to have that alone time. You have to have that dating stuff. You have to sext each other. You have to be seductive with each other because it's the only job description that the other partner can. It's it's a job description that only each other, the two of you, <laughs> only the two of you can't talk. Only the two of you can fulfill. Right. And 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 you don't. You love your partner. You love your partner. We forget that we love our partners. We forget that they're the most important person to us. We have to value them and and not slack on them as so many of the fantasies and the fairy tales tell us that like, and they lived happily ever after. Actually, no, they moved in together. They got engaged. They got married. They had kids. They are incompatible in terms of like cleanliness and household chores and uh, their values around money and uh, everything else are incompatible. And it was a big, hot mess. That's the reality. Relationships are the Olympics of compromise. Compromise, compromise, compromise. Nobody is going to love you in your most raw version of yourself, which is to say your laziest version of yourself. We have to brush our hair. We have to take a shower and we have to leave the house, especially now that we're not in the throes of the worst of the plague. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, it'd be interesting. I'd be interested to even get your take. Like we so we got engaged after six months, married out a year and just like went just went for it. You right? went lesbian. You went is that, lesbian. Is that a lesbian that's what thing we to do. do? You know why? Because there's not a guy pushing back and resisting. You've got two <laughs> women who are socialized to to nest. So we blow right through it. Yeah, go on. There you go. So the lesbian tendencies in both of us came out clearly. And, you know, we made it work. But it is an ultra marathon, I think, marriages. And you, you mentioned in compromise. It is an ultra marathon. And as long as you keep the goal the same, and that is to keep your relationship healthy and happy, and we tend to prioritize our relationship before, like, even the kids in a sense, because the kids, it's so easy. It requires no work. That is literally the smartest thing I've heard maybe all year, that you put the relationship above the kids. That is not selfish. That is serving your children. Mm -hmm. That is serving your children. TikTok hates us for it, but that's what we like to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My God, TikTok has such hatred. So it's worst. so easy. The haters are there. I know, but listen, doctor, I am. I have. To, I have to leave. I have to. My babysitter is about to pee. She just sent me a message. Literally, this is the fucking worst. I am so grateful. That you, you came hear on. that? Yes. You hear this buzzing? <laughs> that's in, that's Instacart with my delivery. Hold on. Well, this I go. Okay. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. 
I'm not going to make your babysitter wait. I'm here. Darcy, thank you so much. Where can people find you? Where can people get you to be their coach? Everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, AskDrDarcy.com. And if you are interested in working with me, which there's, I don't, there's not an option at this moment. I have a wait list, Um, but you can get on the wait list by clicking the work with me button. Amazing. Thank you. And you have my phone number. You call me anytime. Oh my God. I will. And ask me your relationship questions. Yes. It was so nice meeting you. Yeah. I would love to meet Shane at some point. Oh, you will. Absolutely. Okay. But really take care. It was so nice meeting you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye, Darcy. Well, that was a good interview. Thanks, babe. But this is going to be an even better, if possible. I might be speaking out of turn considering we haven't recorded it yet, but this is the mailbag segment. This is where Alex takes the listener questions. She answers them and I'm along for the ride. No, I like it. I like the questions this week. They're good. Okay. All right. So the first question we've got, when nude pics are leaked, why is the blame usually on the one who took the photo and not the one who shared them? Okay. First, is it? I don't, I don't know. I think that might be the vocal minority of people are like, you know, it's always extremists, like mm-hmm. religious extremists or <laughs> misogynists or something. Yeah. You know, it's the same people who tell you like, you dress like that, you deserve mm-hmm. any cat call or further harassment. But I don't think most people think that. I think it's the perceived thing because that's all you see are the people who are shouting. Yeah, it's, it's a tricky situation because I think when you send you know, an intimate photo to somebody, you're entering like an unspoken agreement, like a contract. It's like, all right, I'm sending this photo. I'm taking this risk and trusting that this person is going to be good. And then that person is receiving the photo under the guise of trust and that they're, no matter what happens, they're not going to share it because it was sent to them in privacy. But the thing is, people are crappy. You know what I mean? And not everybody is to be trusted. Um, in bad times. It's like you maybe you can trust somebody when times are good, but not necessarily when times are bad. So it is always risky, but I think that the onus is definitely, and with the people I hang with, the onus is definitely on the person that shares the photo. Yeah. And I, I think there should be actually be legal repercussions for, for doing something like this. And yes. I think the fact that it's not so clearly defined the amount of trouble you'll get into, it shouldn't you know, you shouldn't need to even have this law because it should just be known. But I do think there needs to be harsher repercussions. I feel like that's coming soon, like for people who do things like that, even for people who are trolling, creating fake accounts. I feel like there's going to be something that can police these people with real repercussions. Mm -hmm. That'd be amazing. You know, because it is so and it's like scary with the deep faking and everything that you can do now and like AI. It's just it's scary. It's, and there needs to be better boundaries. But I feel like it's hard for them to stay on top of the boundaries because things just keep rolling so quickly. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, was there ever repercussions for the people that leaked all those nude photos of the celebs a few years ago? It was called the fappening. Yes. Yes. Um, I don't think so. And, and the reason I don't think so is because felt like a hacker thing and hackers mm-hmm. are so mysterious that you can't but they didn't track them down they didn't get another hacker to hack that hacker maybe they did quietly i've never heard about it but i know hackers that's that's a whole other ball game we're Do talking about morals? like angry ex-boyfriends releasing stuff or whatever yeah i guess and they probably made money off of that too you think eh the fappening people yeah i don't know like, if why they would were- they do that Maybe they were trying to extort people, but sometimes people just want to be anarchists. 
And that's I think crazy. that's a big thing in the hacker community just to prove you can do it. Maybe they were trying to get street cred with their other hacker buddies. Mm-hmm. Well, I know it can be a very misogynist world, which obviously, you know, came down to what they released. But anyway, moving on. There was an article about Arnold Schwarzenegger's parenting ways. What are your thoughts on it? All right. Have you read this article at all, Shane? No. Okay. I'll break it down for you. So he is essentially a proudly authoritarian parent, meaning his way or the highway. He says what he expects from his kids, says it once, and if they disobey, harsh punishments. What's the harsh punishment? Okay. I have a couple examples of this. So you do not get your pudding tonight. <laughs> so get this. because Rate that impression. It, it, say it again. No. You do not get your pudding tonight. What was that? That I was think terrible. Mine was you better sounded than yours. like your Bob show. You do not get your pudding tonight. <laughs> what is that? Was that was be- worse than my first one, but yours was terrible. You just sound like an Eastern European woman. You, I am a woman. You do not get your pudding tonight. That, that no, was really no. That's bad. Continue. <laughs> okay, so he burned a pair of his daughter Catherine's shoes when she was a child because she didn't put them away properly. Another instance, he took his nine-year-old son Patrick's mattress and threw it off of a balcony with the bed sheets and pillows and everything into the family pool because his kid didn't make his bed properly. So in, I'm assuming, a fit of rage because who's doing these things calm, cool, collected? And if you are, maybe that is even more scary and psychotic. But he's taking the bed and chucking it out the window, taking his daughter's shoes and burning them in front of her. Like these feel, that feels kind of sadistic, right? It's like, I'm not just going to get of. rid of, I'm not just <laughs> getting rid of these shoes. Um, so it said he insisted his children make their own beds, scrub their showers, have uh, clean their own toilets and have to wash their own clothes because he grew up with little money and was self-reliant and whatever. But I mean, did that part, like you can raise self-reliant and respectful kids without burning their GD shoes. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. And this is such an extreme example. (laughs) I don't know what they expected. No one, I think, is going to say that they agree with Arnold or his behavior. Of course, but authoritarian in any way. And like, there's some things that you have to take a strong stance on as parents. There's lots of things, but without the repercussions and like, I get it. Like I have at nighttime trying to get the kids to bed. That's when I lose my cool the most. And when I have to really stay on myself, um, to keep my cool. And when Shane, will be like, pat me on the shoulder and be like, it's all right, take a deep breath, whatever. And, but I, I'll say things like, well, it looks like somebody's not getting a Furby for Christmas. Or if you keep acting like this, we're not going to so-and-so's party. And I throw out things like that frequently. That's, yeah, that's parenting 101, though. Th- these are verbal tricks yeah. that are, I'm not saying they're the right tricks, who knows, but these seem like harmless things that have been said since the beginning of time. Did you know anybody growing up who had really authoritarian parents? I don't know. Like, I, I got hit with a strap, like a belt. Like, I feel like I'm on the last era that <laughs> got that. Like, I was just hanging. I feel like if I was two years uh, younger, yeah. I wouldn't have gotten strapped. Yeah. But I just made the strapping age. You lucky boy. Being 40. I'm not saying it was lucky. I didn't like it. <laughs> but yeah, me, my, my parents. Mm-hmm. But they weren't authoritarian in the sense that you had to follow their every direction. Like you had a lot of freedom in high school, things like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I don't know if I, what, what constituted a strapping? I, I'm trying to think. I don't know what I did. 
Yeah, I think it had maybe more to do with their moods and how they handled things rather than them it's, telling you to do one she thing. She wasn't as, like, I'm in a bad mood. It's strapping no, down. No, but like getting because no, was, not cleaning my room, maybe not going to bed. Like I think, I think. It was that. It was related to me right. not doing something. They didn't care as much about schoolwork. I never got strapped for like getting a C minus, but because mm-hmm. it's interesting. That's where you'd think that the authoritarian parenting would come in too, right? Like heavily with school. Because I know, like, if I think I had one friend, especially who had a really authoritarian dad, mm-hmm. similar to Arnold. Yeah. But smaller, like not obviously a bodybuilder. Well, that would be an assumption. <laughs> no, he's Mister Universe. <laughs> but um. He was super authoritarian um, and like would I'm sure if you asked say he's giving tough love but I know my friend wasn't feeling love at all tough love or otherwise in those moments it was just feeling like she was feeling small or whatever and then when she finally got out on her own like in university she went a little crazy you know what I mean she went a little wild yeah and acted out in a lot of ways that I think we're not healthy. Yeah. And I, I think it's kind of scary. Of course. But from Arnold's perspective, he came from nothing and became the most successful person in America at one point. He was in the number number one box office film. So he probably attributes all of his success to that upbringing and thinks, if I wasn't brought up this way, I would not be successful. Mm-hmm. So that's where he's coming from. Yeah. It's nuts. But then he, he lacks the, I think ability to reflect on those actions and say, okay, I can do this without doing these things. Well, Arnold also probably a byproduct of him being so successful. He doesn't hear no a lot. So it's the perfect storm where he's super successful with this strange upbringing, Mm -hmm. doesn't hear no, thinks a lot of his decisions are correct. And he is a very big imposing person. Even without the fame and everything, you probably don't hear no that often if you're 6'3 and are 240 pounds of pure muscle. And he was probably trying to work through his feelings while he was like cheating with the nanny and like getting all angry and was all pent up and crazy and taking it out on uh, the kids by burning well, shoes. N- nanny sex probably led to him being like, <laughs> give me the lighter fluid. <laughs> I'm on fire right now with the, having sex with this nanny. I need to burn something. You make job easier for the nanny. Stop that voice. Make your bed. That's the worst invitation Wait. I've ever heard. You need to make your bed and make life easier for the nanny who I love so she has more time to have sex with me. He's not Russian. He's not Russian. I'm not trying to do Russian. You're doing Russian, I can't help it. Everything I do sounds Russian. It's true. But uh, he's Austrian. Love. Wait, it's the love. It's the way I said love. I can't do it. Everything's going to sound Russian. Next question. How do you keep your cool when people are terrible online? Regarding breastfeeding video. So... Asking about a video I, I put up before, me uh, f- breastfeeding Betty while we were in line at the airport, whatever. There's every day I get like 50 new hate-filled comments about it. Mm-hmm. Um, today, even, it's funny. Somebody wrote, this is the last thing. It was something like this, like paraphrasing. This is the last thing I'd want to see in an airport. You taking out your disgusting titty, spelled T-I-D-D-Y, barf face barf face barf face and i was like what like first of all why why am i disgusting second of all you're not seeing these things anyway i get like 50 of these a day on that video i don't know shane you've i'm sure you've dealt with uh not so nice comments before online but i think for me it's just like having a thick skin and things like that won't get to me i think i'll find it more hurtful if somebody 
came for, I don't know, maybe a, a different aspect of me. Cause I, if it's just about public breastfeeding and that makes them uncomfortable, I just disagree so wholeheartedly that I just think they're in the wrong and that they're just so, you know, lost in a weird world that they're going to say things like that. Of course, they're going to hate on breastfeeding. But I, I think if they attacked me personally or something I thought I was good at or like my family members, that's when I would get my backup. Yeah, for me, it's like if they hit on something that I think might be true, mm-hmm. then I'm like, ooh, that, that really hurt my feelings. Like the other day, someone commented under the guise of a compliment said, hey, Shane looks like Tommy was so. <laughs> from the room, if you haven't yeah, seen like, that. Look him oh, up Oh, hi, right Mark. Now. Like, you know, from the movie, um, the, uh, James Franco made a movie called The Disaster Artist where he played him and based on him. But he says that and I'm just like, you have hurt me today, <laughs> I said. Which is a line that uh, Amy Aidy Bryant says mm-hmm. in this uh, hilarious SNL um, digital short about CVS on uh, Valentine's Day. And she goes, you have hurt me today when this man gives her a terrible Valentine's Day gift from CVS. Anyway, <laughs> the guy then goes, oh, I thought it was a compliment. <laughs> By the way, love the podcast and your show with the dessert. So that's like classic troll behavior, saying something a little antagonistic, me responding, then being like, love you, bye. Thought, thought, thought you'd like that. No one wants to look like Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> and I'm thinking maybe I do look like him. But just there's so many things. I'll be, I'll be walking down the street. I'll see someone. I'll be like, ah, eh, that's an attractive person. That's not. That dog's ugly. That's cute. What an ugly baby. Cute baby. I just <laughs> never say the things in my head. They're intrusive thoughts. I try to block them out again with ADHD sometimes I do blurt out things I shouldn't and this ha- this is a common problem for me but online you have such a you got to type it out there's another mechanism it's not just brain to mouth it's brain to finger to typing mm-hmm. to hitting enter so there's a lot of steps and if you're the type of person doing that yeah stop want try to stop but a lot of people they have private accounts that are mm-hmm. just set up to be anonymous Control, yeah and how I handle that is knowing that usually hurt people hurt people and that it's not about me. It's about them and what they have mm-hmm. going on. And yes, sometimes I'm hurt if it's a truth that I have in my own head and some things I can change, some things I can't. Like if someone's like, you're so annoying on that or you say like too much. Mm-hmm. I'll be like, I do say like a lot. <laughs> Although this has hurt me, I'm trying to, I'll still use this as fuel to correct it and if it's so ridiculous yeah then i just try to ignore it no i think that's good um next question do you guys actually and actually is capitalized as if this person is putting emphasis on it but do you guys actually like magic mind so when they say like i think they're asking if it works because you really like the taste of magic mind yeah it's like pineapple goodness yeah i and you're more like you'll do it one shot i'm i'm a sipper I don't, I don't know why. Sometimes things in little containers, I sip them because my brain is like, oh, this is like a shot. It's going to taste bad. And Magic Mind tastes good to me. You just love it. You'll gulp it in one. So we like the taste for sure. So do we like it? Yes. Does it work? Which I really think is the question here. I feel like it does. And I truly do. Mm-hmm. Um, I've taken it for what? Three weeks a month? Yeah. I'm not sure. About three weeks, I think. And I feel sharper. I feel mm-hmm. clearer. I'm not a scientist, but I've, I've tried many <laughs> things in my life that I could say definitely 
didn't work or worked so little that I yeah. didn't even notice it. This feels like a net positive overall. I do recommend it. Um, yeah. What do you think? Yeah. I recommend giving it a try because it might be something that works for you. Like I have realized that my coffee intake has decreased a ton because my coffee intake got really high when I was on mat yeah. leave with Betty and it just hasn't gone back down since then. But I don't like I don't even really think about it. Do you know what I've noticed about you? What? You're just I'm not saying this is solely because of Magic Mind, but <laughs> you're just reading all the time now and you would never read before. And I was thinking, I wonder if there's a correlation between Alex just constantly reading and mm-hmm. not doom scrolling on her phone with Magic Mind. I wonder. Maybe. Maybe. Um, so, yeah. For us, yes. Uh, again, like mm-hmm. try, to, try it out for yourself. I, I, and I also, I scour the internet. I was looking for people who yeah. said it didn't really work for them. You can't really find too many people saying negative yeah. things or even neutral things. Uh, so, yeah. No, I'm and, super and, into it. And like a lot of shows I listen to, people I respect have talked about it. I tend to think it really does work for focus, especially if you're kind of ADHD adjacent or if you have ADHD, person like me who has trouble maybe focusing, maybe a person who's drinking too much coffee, it, it does help with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, uh, full disclosure too, they they are a sponsor. And I know sometimes like, oh, you're just saying that because whatever. But we've if you've been listening to this pod for any amount of time, you know we only get sponsors with products we actually use actually believe in we do have a promo code Mm -hmm. which is so it'll save you 20 percent uh from a one-time purchase the promo code is family tree 20 and you can go to magicmind.com slash family tree and you'll be good save you 20 percent goes far okay but uh do we have another question okay our next question is my child is always crying and whining and it drives me crazy It's, it's not a question it's a statement um, I'm assuming they're saying they're like yelling the statement at us saying, help me. What do I do? Because we can we can kind of relate. We have Betty, who is the world's sweetest kid to everybody and even to us. But then she is not afraid to like unleash the wine. Yeah. And it's like a grunt. Like, a, no, no. Yeah. And it's just this. It's, it's a bark. And it, when the mood switches, I try to take it with humor. And I try to laugh it off and be calm. I don't like stressing kid out because if they're already stressed and you're reacting in a stressful or angry action, which I'm not saying I've never done, but I find it more effective when I'm calm and it calms them down quicker. They go to bed quicker if I'm not stressed out. If I stay calm, even when they're testing our patients, whatever. And we've put this to the test on times mm-hmm. where we've been frustrated and putting the kids to bed, which is sometimes when they are acting out or being <laughs> moody or not wanting to do things. 930, they'll fall asleep at. But when we are both a unified front and we're like, tonight, let's be super calm. It can be 730. It can be eight at the latest. So that's my advice that works for us. Obviously, every child is different. Um, you know, some pe- some kids might have a lot going on that you, you, you don't know. Some people might... Some children might have ADHD. Mm-hmm. Not to, that everything leads back to <laughs> to that, but you know, in some cases, it might be useless. But it's all how you react to it more than anything, because it's just going to make. Even if it doesn't help the child, it helps you. 
mentally. Yeah. See, so I, I was looking this up from what some child psychologists were talking about. And there were two things on the list that Shane, you do really well. So the first one is that like humor to break the mood or in calmness. The second thing that you do really well that this therapist or a psychologist suggested was distraction. Oh, yeah, yeah. I like that. And you're really good with distraction. So Betty will be in a mood. She's like, I'll never love you ever again. And she says stuff like that. I don't know where she got it from. And it kills me. But you are able to kind of get her talking about something else. Mm -hmm. And she'll kind of do it begrudgingly, I find, at first. But then she can't help it. And she gets into it, whether you start talking about ice cream or whatever. Yeah, sometimes I'll try to make her laugh. I'm Mm -hmm. pretty good at making her laugh even when she doesn't want to. She'll be like, I'm not going to bed ever. And I'll be like, Betty, I'd love to talk to you right now, but mommy just took the stinkiest poop in the toilet (laughs) and I really have to take care of it. Like, no. I'm like, you don't have to come with me and look at it, but it is really big poop and you might be interested in it. It's like, no. I'm like, okay. I'm going to check on this thing. And then I'll just keep talking about this other thing, this silly thing. And then she inevitably starts mm-hmm. thinking about something else or laughing. I like and that. then she'll start smiling and be like, don't smile. <laughs> I'm serious. This is serious. And if she's upset, I'm like, you have to stay upset. Please stay upset because I don't want to change your mood. I want to address this. And then she'll just start laughing. That's funny. So that works. Talking about ice cream too, if we're in the mm-hmm. car and the kid wants something else. I'll just be like, well, if we get ice cream later today, what what do you want on the for toppings? I'm going to try to remember it. And then all of a sudden they're thinking about ice cream. Now, if you don't want to give them ice cream later, don't do that. But it could be anything. Yeah. No. And they, they often forget too. But a couple more things that the psychologist I was researching said, don't give in. Because then the more you just say, okay, because you get frustrated with their whining, they know and that that becomes a habit. And then they know that if they whine to a certain point, you're going to give in, you're going to give them what they want. Um, So just to hold your boundaries. And the last thing, it kind of goes along with the staying calm, but they might be looking for negative attention because you think about it, like it's bedtime. They want you there. They don't want you to go. And they know that if they start whining and complaining and being bad, you're going to stay longer with them, right? Mm -hmm. So they're getting what they want, even though it's in a negative way, they get you know, to argue with you and then maybe to start crying then for you to comfort them, whatever it is. And it turns into this big whole kind of power tug of war. Well, Lucy was saying that too the other day. Uh, She goes, I want mama because mama's angry at me. And then when she's nice to me, it feels good to when she forgives me. That's So she likes, and then the the next night, because we had talked about, okay, we got to be kind of calm and united here. Like, let's stay calm the whole time. The next night, she was trying to get you to be angry at yes. her so she could feel the relief when you're not angry anymore. But she was like telling me directly. She's like, get mad at me and then forgive me. And I was like, Lucy, what is this? And when she even says that I get mad at her, it's like me just being, being like, Lucy, you have to go to sleep. That's it's not like yeah. you know, burning your shoes or anything. And then she'll just like get super upset. And I'll be like, all right, Lucy, I'm sorry for, you know, speaking a little more loudly. or I'm sorry for being so firm, but you do need to go to sleep. And then she'll be like, forgive me. And I'm like, Lucy, I'm not mad at you. Like, I'm I'm mad at the situation, but I'm not I'm not mad at you. And then she, it's a weird thing. But we're trying to get out of that habit right now. Yeah, always be the same, steady. And then mm-hmm. they know nothing's really going to 
tip the scales one way or the next. And you know the best thing about parenting is that we get to practice these methods every single night for a grueling hour and a half until the kids are old enough to fall asleep on their own. <laughs> We've been pretty good the last few nights. They went to bed at a good time last night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got to play Zelda. Oh, yeah. But Shaney Boy, that's it. That's all. Okay. Well... Another pod in the books, another good pod. Alex's big plans coming up. I don't even want to say them because if we speak them out loud, then you get that dopamine kick before you actually do it. So I'll leave it at that and just say thank you so much for listening to This this Family Family Tree Tree Podcast. Podcast, episode 188.